Welcome to this episode of Taking Care, a podcast by APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles and I'm sitting here today with Martin Fletcher. Martin, welcome. And can you tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, Tash. So my role is as the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it APRA for short. And APRA works with 15 national boards to administer and manage the national registration and accreditation scheme in Australia. So what is this national scheme? What's it there for? Basically, if you think about it, when you go and see a doctor or a dentist or a, or a nurse or a physiotherapist, um, you want to make sure that person is safe and competent to practice. So we're really here, uh, first of all, to register health practitioners to make sure that they meet the required standards to, um, to deliver safe care to, to people. And secondly, if there are any concerns about anything that they might be doing that might raise a question about patient safety, we're here to look into that and make sure that issue is addressed. What are the professions that you regulate? We regulate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health practitioners. In fact, our smallest profession, but our fastest growing profession, providing really important services, uh, frontline services to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. We regulate Chinese medicine practitioners, chiropractors, dental practitioners, uh, medical practitioners or doctors, uh, medical radiation practitioners, nurses, midwives, occupational therapists, optometrists, osteopaths, pharmacists, physiotherapists, podiatrists and psychologists. And then in the past year, uh, we've just started to regulate paramedics uh, across Australia for the first time. Why these professions? Essentially, these are all professions where uh, potentially they're doing something that there might be some sort of risk associated with the procedure um, so it's important that uh, in addition to any arrangements that they might have in place within a health service or within a clinic setting, that there is also um, uh, regulation and that means that they have to be registered in order to become working in any of these professions and in order to be registered they have to have an appropriate qualification uh, and then they also have to meet and continue to meet um, the national standards that underpin registration. And I'm sure that having all of these professions under one scheme would make that a little bit easier. That's right, because I think you've got you've got national standards within the profession and then uh, in a number of areas. So, for example, we have a requirement around any criminal history that you might have. That's the same requirement across all professions. We have a requirement around English language skills and that's pretty close to being the same across all professions. So I think one of the huge benefits of having national registration has been to get that sort of multi-profession harmonised approach to these standards. Because at the end of the day, that's what the community expects. They don't expect that there should be a different standard depending on what profession you should you, you are. It should be that, you know, you meet the required standard that is, you know, largely consistent across professions. I mean, there's always going to be some variation around profession difference. But, you know, in some of these core areas, um, it's the same thing that's expected of everyone who's registered. So you've got these national boards. How do they fit in? So look, the national boards are a really important part of our work and there are 15 national boards covering the 16 uh, registered health professions. So just to say why it's 16 and 15 for nursing and midwifery, they are two distinct professions but they are regulated by one board, the Nursing and Midwifery Board of Australia. And really at, at it's, it's as simple as a partnership really that we work closely in partnership with each of those boards uh, uh, around the standards that are set for registration uh, and then to make sure that, um, you know, as people are registered and renewed, that they meet those standards. 
And if there are concerns being raised about a practitioner who's not meeting those standards, we then work with those boards uh, to provide advice. If we're investigating, to let them know what we found in the investigation. And then those boards, which are made up of both practitioner and community members, uh, make the ultimate decision about whether any regulatory action is needed. As CEO, you must work with the boards and these other uh, organisations in the healthcare system. Could you talk to us about what a day looks like for you, who you talk to, what you do? Yeah, well, um, I have to say no day, no, no two days are the same, um, but I guess a typical day would be uh, there often would be a discussion with a board or a board chair about there might be a particular issue or concern that they want to talk to me about. Um, a huge focus on um, our staff and leadership within ARPA as well. So we're a national organisation. We have an office in every capital city. We have nearly a th- just over 1,000 staff. So we want to make sure those staff um, have, this, have the tools uh, and support they need to do the job well because it's, it's a pretty demanding job. There's a lot of work. We see um, more and more registered practitioners every year. Um, so we want to make sure that we're, we're, people are well supported to do that work. Often a lot of work with um, our stakeholders. It could be con- uh, we have a consumer reference group, we have professional associations, uh, we work closely with governments as well because, of course, governments through all of the health ministers, the states and territories and the Commonwealth Health Minister um, ultimately uh, set the legislative framework in which we work. So we work very closely with governments um, and so it might be a discussion with those. So, for example, today we've got our regular meeting of all the government officials to talk about some legislative amendments that are that are going through to, to make some changes to the law that we work under. So, so you know, a whole, whole range of things like that. Um, and as I say, no, no two days are the same. What part do, does APRA and the national board boards play in the broader Australian health system? If we want to have safe care delivered to patients and to consumers in hospitals, in clinics, wherever care is delivered. Uh, we need to make sure that health practitioners at the sharp end of delivering care are safe and competent to be able to deliver that care well. So uh, through the work uh, in setting standards that are the requirements to be registered, through the work we do with accreditation authorities around the education that our up-and-coming people do who want to become health practitioners, and through the work we do to address any concerns that are raised with us about health practitioners, we make sure that health practitioners play their part working with others to deliver safe, quality care to everyone. Do you think that members of the public have heard of the national scheme? And um, if not, why is it important for them to know what we do? Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Tash. And I think we recognise that for a lot of people, uh, they just assume when they go and see a health practitioner that that person is going to deliver um, the right care to them in a way that is safe and of a high quality and um, often people, uh, it's, uh, it's not until there might be some sort of problem or concern that they have that they start to wonder where they can go to raise that concern. So I think one of the things we're really aware of is the need to actually work very closely with the community um, to help people understand what regulation is, uh, uh, what we do and how we can help, especially if there's concern about something that a registered practitioner is doing. Um, but that's, I think, uh, we've got a long way to go, I think, in... in um, helping the community to understand that. So what are some of the things that APRO does to help protect the public and provide information for them? Well, one of the most important things we do, Tash, is we have a national online register. So there are about 740,000 registered health practitioners across 16 professions in the national scheme. 
And um, every single one of those practitioners is on our national online register. So if you're a consumer who is um, unsure about whether someone is registered, if you're a consumer who wants to perhaps look and understand a bit more about uh, the qualifications or the background of a practitioner you're seeing, if you're a consumer who wants to know if there are any restrictions on the registration um, um, that might limit what a practitioner can do, you can go onto the register and search by the name and, and find all of that information there. And we, we think that's an incredibly important resource for the community, but we recognise that it's one that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, and so one of the things I think we need to do is make sure we get much greater awareness of the register and how people can use it when they're making choices about their own health care. And it's free and you can just go it's online. It's free. Uh, and as I say, it's all in the one place for those all of those hundreds of thousands of registered health practitioners. Uh, and it's literally as simple as putting in the name of the practitioner and then uh, checking the details. Uh, is this um, a recent thing? Well, we're, we're 10 years old this year. And in fact, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary in 2020 and so we've had that national online register since 2010 and progressively developed it over those years to make sure it's as accurate and complete as possible. The thing that we're doing is make, try, looking at ways we can make the register easier to use. So if I can give you one example, um, we know that sometimes people practice under a name that may be slightly different. So it may be that you put in the name that you know the practitioner is but you don't find them. Uh, and one of the things that's going to change in our law, uh, which has been agreed by health ministers, is that we will also have a way of capturing the name that people practice under as well. And hopefully that will make it easier for people to find the information they need when they search the register. Right, yeah, because I imagine it would be pretty stressful if you're looking up your health practitioner and you can't find them on the register and that's because you're searching by a name that they're not using under the register. That's right. And of course, one of the other things we do is sometimes there are people who claim to be a registered health practitioner when they're not. So they are quite literally fake practitioners. Uh, and if we know, if we find out about that, we can prosecute those people. Uh, so, of course, if somebody is claiming to be registered and not on the register, mm -hmm. then what we would often say to you is let us know, because mm -hmm. it, it, it may be that there's a search thing that just needs to be sorted out that we can find the person, or it may be that in fact it is somebody who is claiming to be registered when they're not. And that's a very serious violation of the trust of somebody, if you think about it. If, you, if you're going to see somebody who you think is registered, meeting certain standards, able to deliver the care that you, you need, and it turns out that that's all um, untrue and they're mm. pretending, then um, that's a matter we take very seriously and, as I say, prosecute through local courts. So I guess, I mean, it's... Um, checking the register is kind of beneficial twofold because you can feel confident that you're seeing a health practitioner who's on the register and also if they're not, you can help prevent future harm by somebody who's not registered to practice and doesn't meet all those standards that you mentioned earlier about what a health practitioner needs to do. Yeah, that's right. And I think in many ways it goes back to our central focus, which is all about public safety and patient safety. Uh, we're here to serve the community. We're here to make sure that practitioners are... Uh, are able to practice in a safe, high-quality way. So um, if there is a concern like that, we want to know about it because we want to see if there's something we need to do. Mm, absolutely. Um, so outside of the scheme, what are other key elements of safe healthcare for the public? Um, do you have key partners who you work with to help protect the public? So we work very closely with health services. We work very closely with um, large employers of health practitioners. We also work very closely with professional groups, 
we work with other regulators. So, um, for example, in each state and territory in Australia, there are there are health complaints commissioners, and sometimes they're better placed to deal with some of the concerns that might be raised by members of the community. So, could, could you talk briefly about the difference between the complaints we receive and the complaints that those health complaints entities? Yeah, it's an important point, Tash, and I think it is often um, a bit confusing for people to know about where is the right place to go if they raise a concern. Um, and one of the things that works well in our system is that if, if a concern is raised, we'll, we'll often talk to the Health Complaints Commissioner to right. make sure people end up in the right place for the concern. But essentially what we're dealing with, in, with from a regulatory point of view is if there's a question or concern about the behaviour of the practitioner, perhaps the health or well-being of the practitioner... Um, or, or some aspect of their clinical performance, uh, you know, whether they're delivering care at the right standard, uh, then they would be issues that we would look at to see whether the standards that we require have been met, and if they haven't been met, what action might be taken to address that concern. If you're somebody who um, has had a bad experience with a health practitioner, uh, perhaps you think you've been overcharged for a service or that you've been treated very poorly in terms of how they've communicated with you, that may be something that's better dealt with by a health complaints commissioner right. who can then look to uh, work out an outcome that might um, address the concern that you've got. So it's not always black and white though and I think there are sometimes cases where there is a role both for the health complaints commissioner and for us working, working with boards as part of a national scheme um, and that's why, as I say, we work very closely with the Health Complaints Commissioners to make sure that people get into the right place for the concern they've got. Yep. So, Martin, you've spoken about some concerns that you might send to other health complaints entities. What kind of concerns do you deal with? Do people raise with ARPA about health practitioners? The number one concern that gets raised with us, and it's about half of the concerns we deal with each year relate to some aspect of clinical care. So, for example, it might be a concern that a certain procedure, um, operation or something that you've, you've had clinically um, has not been done well and has not met the required standards. And uh, so the person raises that with us as a concern that they think might be something that we need to take regulatory action. And often that's about medical practitioners and obviously doctors um, are pretty key uh, for many of us, the delivery of healthcare, so it makes sense that um, that um, they often feature in those areas. But we also get uh, a second category is about medication concerns. So that might be some aspect of the medication that has been prescribed by by a doctor, but it might also be some aspect of the medication that has been dispensed by a pharmacist or administered by a nurse. And a third big category is around communication, particularly around consent issues. So we get a lot of concerns where people might say, um, you know, the, the risks of a certain procedure weren't fully explained to me or a consent process didn't really... I didn't understand that and I don't believe that the information I was provided by the practitioner was full and complete in what they told me and uh, often in a circumstance where something that they didn't expect to happen may have happened... Uh, and they want to know why there wasn't a much more complete explanation in the around the consent, particularly around the risks of the procedure that they were agreeing to. Dealing with um, patients or family members who are in pretty vulnerable positions and they've often had something not very nice happen as part of their healthcare experience. Um, and I've read a bit about how there's been some criticism about how long it can take for these notifications or concerns to go through the pro process can you talk about these time frames and if you're doing anything to reduce them yeah I th look I think that's a very fair point that sometimes it can take a long time for us to investigate 
um, a concern that might have been raised with us. And I think it's fair to say that we haven't always been as uh, um, helpful and regular as we could be in keeping people up to date with where the progress of that investigation um, has been. So we've had a really big focus over the last few years on trying to reduce the length of time that it takes us to investigate matters. Sometimes things take a long time to investigate because they are complicated. So, for example, if a, if, a, if, a, um, if a person raises a concern with us about some aspect of their clinical care, then we often need to get copies of the clinical records from, from the practitioner or the health service. We'll often get an expert to review those records to make sure that we're properly able to sort of understand what the issues are. And we work very closely with boards. So we have, uh, we have sort of 15 boards across each of the professions in the scheme and that's got both practitioners and community members on them. And so we need to then discuss with those, with those boards what the action might need be needed in terms of the concern. So, so you know, it, it, it can involve a lot of different things that can take time. Um, and, of course, we need to make sure the practitioner who is the subject of the concern has the opportunity to give their side of the story as well. Um, but I think, by and large, we are very focused on making sure that we do that as quickly as possible because we know how stressful it can be for members, uh, you know, for the community or for a patient or a family member who's raising the concern um, and, and how much is at stake for them, but also for the practitioner as well because in our experience, although it's a relatively small number of practitioners on, on in any year who are subject to... Um, Do you have a number? Yeah, we, we overall in Australia, we deal with about 10,000 notifications a year. A lot of those don't require us to take any regulatory action and that could be because... Um, there, there isn't a basis for regulatory action or it could be that the practitioner themselves has to actually take a step right. to address the concern so that we don't need to do anything further. Um, but, um, but we do recognise how stressful it can it is both for the person raising the concern and the practitioner. Uh, and, of course, the longer it takes, the more stressful it can be. 10,000 sounds like a lot of notifications, though. Look, I agree, 10,000 sounds like a big number, but I think it's important to remember that we have uh, over 740,000 registered health practitioners in Australia, and uh, if you do the maths, that equates to about 1.7% of practitioners subject to a, to a notification, and, and uh, many of those don't require regulatory action, so it's a much smaller percentage where we might need to do something from a regulatory point of view. Coming back to what it's like for somebody who has made a notification or family members and their experience, um, how do you keep them up to date and in what kind of ways do you have touch-ins with them throughout the process? That's something we've had a huge focus on because I think we've recognised that we haven't always done everything we could and should be doing to make sure people are kept up to date, especially when we know that where people are raising a concern about the care they've received or the care that a loved one has received, that, that's a, a really big deal and comes with a lot of emotion and concern. So um, we, we, we've got a lot of work in this area and I'll probably highlight three things. Um, one, one is we, it was interesting when we, when we actually asked people about um, what it was like to raise a concern with us, one of the things they said, and this was not just members of the community, it was also practitioners, was that we often wrote letters that were really hard to understand, written in very legal language and um, quite sort of scary for people to receive. Um, and so we've done a lot of work to really try and make sure that our written communication is much more in plain English um, and, you know, on the one hand makes clear what we're doing, but on the other hand, but, but, it, but it's written in a way that people can actually understand what we're saying. The second thing that people told us was, well, 
you know, it's okay, it's all very well for you to write us a letter, but quite nice if you could pick the phone up occasionally and just talk to us because obviously you can convey a lot more information and and you know address the questions that people have them. exactly yeah when you have a have a phone conversation. So we've put a lot more emphasis on um, on on phone conversation and talking to people, and that's involved us doing some. Uh, training with our staff and just helping people feel confident in dealing with that because it can often be quite a, you know, as I say, there's a lot of emotion, I think, rightly so, involved in these conversations because there are important issues at stake for people. And then thirdly, I think the area for us, I think one of the things we've sometimes found, particularly when we've found that investigations have gone for a long time, is that we have often not provided very meaningful information to people. So we've said things like, yeah, the investigation's still going and, you know, we'll, we'll come back to you once we've got something to tell you. Um, so we've done a lot of work, I think, to actually make sure that where we're updating people, we are actually providing more meaningful information. And when we've got a decision at the end of the regulatory process, uh, so again, working with, with the boards, with the practitioner and community members, that we go into much more detail to explain the reasons for the decision and, and again, the opportunity for conversation around that. And we often find it, particularly where we decide that regulatory action doesn't need to be taken, um, that we don't want um, we don't want uh, anybody who's raised a concern with us to think that they've somehow sort of wasted the effort and no one's listened to them or their experience hasn't been recognised. Mm. Um, so it's been important, I think, to be clear on on the one hand recognising the experience is real, but explaining clearly why we've decided that regulatory action isn't needed. Mm, I see. Um, but there must be rare cases where you need to do something straight away. Is that part of the process if you receive a complaint or concern which you're really worried about and everything needs to stop? What happens then? Yeah, look, I think that's a really important point, Tash. And as you say, sometimes we, we uh, get concerns from people that raise really serious and immediate questions about whether patients are safe. And as you say, we can't wait to do a whole investigation. So one example would be where there might be allegations that there's been some sort of uh, sexual boundary violation, perhaps that a, that a practitioner has, has inappropriately touched um, a patient. And obviously that raises really big concerns for us. And, and in those cases, there'd often be the involvement of the police. But for example, in those sort of situations, what we might do is... is um, uh, suspend the practitioner so that they're not able to practice at all until we can look into the concerns in a bit more detail and really find out what's, you know, get to the bottom of what's going on. Uh, in other cases, we might say to the practitioner, you cannot see certain patients until we've sorted out what these issues are. So it might be that they can't see female patients if there's a concern about inappropriate touching of female patients. And sometimes practitioners in the context, uh, so we call this immediate action. Right. Um, might also give us uh, what we call an undertaking. They'll say, well, we, we'll agree not to practice or we'll agree not to see certain patients um, while this is investigated in more detail. So so we can we can and we do do that. So last year we took immediate action about five in about 500 matters uh, while we were looking, as I say, in more detail at the concerns that have been raised. APRA has health practitioner in its name. It could be seen that um, APRA represents them or works for them. Uh, can you say anything about that and that perception? Yeah, look, I, I think that's a, a very real issue and I think one of the criticisms um, of regulation uh, here, but actually it's interesting when we talk to colleagues overseas, I think often professional regulators in other countries experience the same criticism, is a view that we're too, too likely to see things from the point of view of the practitioner rather than see things from the point of view of the community and mm -hmm. so that we're not 
in a sense, I guess the 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 the, the sort of argument is that we're not sufficiently focused on public safety and patient safety and too much focused on the interests of the profession that we regulate. I, 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 look, I think that's, um, that perception is real and I think we have to address that um, because from my point of view, our, our core reason for being here at the end of the day is for the public and for the community and I think it's really important that the community have trust that we are there ultimately to serve the community and, as I say, with this huge focus on patient and public safety as as the reason for what we do. Yeah, and you've recently received some more guidance from the Australian Health Ministers uh, about public safety. Could you talk about that a little bit? So one of the things that the Health Ministers have recently done is given us what they call a policy direction, which is um, uh, under our law a way that they can set out clearly what they expect from us. Uh, and in that they've made very clear uh, uh, their, their expectation that patient safety is our paramount principle, so is our number one focus in any of our regulatory work. Uh, they've also asked us, uh, so when we're uh, doing work with boards to develop new standards or new guidance that might be needed for any of the professions we regulate, that we make sure there's strong community input into that and a strong patient safety lens brought to that work. And they've also asked us to make sure that we're doing everything we can within the national law, uh, which is the legislation we work with, to uh, sharing information with health services and employers where we think there might be some sort of risk that it's important that they know about so that they, that, so they can work out if there are any steps that they need to take in addition to anything that we're doing. So, so where to from here? What's next? What's the future of health regulation in Australia? Well, I, I go back to my core belief, Tash, that, it, that it's really important that the community trusts that we as regulators are working in the interests of all of Australia. And I'd, I'd probably highlight three things that I think are really important for us. I think, first of all, this point about um, making sure that we're doing everything we can to build awareness and understanding of what regulation is, uh, what we do, and in particular, um, how the community can use the work of ARPA and the scheme and things like the National Register in informing the healthcare choices they make. Secondly, I think we're going to see, I think, a continued trend towards much greater transparency um, and much greater openness. And I think one of the criticisms, I think fairly, is that regulation has often um, been quite opaque for people and people haven't really understood what it does and why decisions are being made and... and uh, you know, so things like making sure that we are clear and accountable for explaining our actions. I think it's interesting for us to look at what sort of information should be published on the register, as I say, to make that an even more useful resource for the community. And then I think the third thing I'd say is that one of, one of the things that I've, you know, a reflection on 10 years in regulation is that um, uh, there are always new issues and challenges coming up and I'd probably really highlight for us as we look ahead um, just the huge impact of um, technology and digital transformation within healthcare. So, for example, we know increasingly that people are using online services. Uh, we know that often people are perhaps going outside of Australia for their healthcare or that um, health services in Australia might be relying on practitioners who are outside of Australia to, you know, to provide advice and diagnosis on things like scans and the like. So I think that's really a, a really big challenge for us a and an opportunity because I think there's a huge opportunity around digital as well. Um, but actually I think, you know, we've got to make sure that regulation is staying up to date 
with all of those changes in the wider healthcare system as well, um, so that you know that we are able to you know truly serve the Australian community. As I say, I circle back to ultimately that there's confidence and trust that we're doing the job we need to do. And of course, I think it's important to say we can't do this on our own, that we are part of a system ultimately. We need to work with others. We need to work with health practitioners, professional groups, health services employers and the community really um, to make sure that we're all playing our part uh, so that Australia has a safe, high-quality health system um, with safe, high-quality health practitioners. Thank you for your time, Martin. Happy 10th birthday and... Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Taking Care. If you have any questions or comments, email us at communications at Thanks for listening.